You're listening to MeSearch. I'm Crystal. And my name is Dustin. We're two friends taking space. And making space. For other Filipinos to share their stories and insights. Join us as we talk to folks in the community to discover how they became trailblazers, business leaders, and bosses. Hey, Crystal. Hey, Dustin. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Me Search Podcast, where we get to the bottom of things. <laughs> yes. That's a new Love one, that guys. Shit. That's a new one. <laughs> Whoa. My I'm looking at my um at my sound waves and my laugh was a little explosive. So <laughs> sorry everyone if my laugh was a little too loud. <laughs> Coming from that very solemn intro. It's fine. We'll fix it in post. We'll fix it in post, as they say. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> All right. Well, 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 we're going to start this episode with a question from a friend of the pod. Can you tell me who that friend is, Dustin? Yes. The friend of the pod is Greg. Gregory. Sir Greg. Uh, Sir Greg. Of the Gam Chat podcast. Yeah. The question is, dear Dustin and Crystal, during the election, my family found out via Facebook that my cousin and his family joined a pro-Trump parade. Some of my family responded with disapproval of Trump. Post-election, my cousin expressed his disappointment, then unfriended half of the family. What advice would you give to my split Phil Am family? So that's the question he posed to us. (sighs) It's sad and challenging times right now, isn't it? Yes, it sure is. I am fortunate to not have had that experience. Mm. Fortunately, my immediate family and I share pretty much the same ideologies when it comes to politics. Mm. So I'm not sure that I'm the best person to speak on this. But what I would say is lead with love because your family is your family. Try to find the common ground and find find those moments that connect you so that you can maintain those relationships if you want to maintain those relationships but also if you need to break from family or friends take a break take a short break mm-hmm. i think that's that's appropriate but again i personally have not experienced this so i'm not sure if there are other folks who are listening to this podcast that might want to chime in, maybe like leave us comments or something, because this I think is very important to have a discussion about. But uh, I can't really pull from any lived experiences at this time. Do you have any thoughts or have you experienced this, Crystal? Um, I know that I have family members who are Trump supporters. Um, I haven't really had any kind of interaction with those family members. Um, I know some of them are on Facebook and some of them are not, or I'm just not, I'm just not friends with them to begin with on the Facebook. Uh, I haven't had to interact with those family members, so I haven't had to really 
dive into that specific thing, but yeah, it, it's it's tough. And I I think when it comes to when I come to that moment where I do have to interact with them, I think this is what I would want to tell myself, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, we're a culture of family first, right? Mm-hmm. But I think I want to challenge that by saying if there is someone who is who is massively a toxic presence in your life, so if they're letting those political beliefs harm you in any way, I think it's safe to say that creating space and distance from that person or people is an act of self-preservation and self-love. I believe we're a culture that puts emphasis on putting others first before your own needs, which I believe is noble and I can definitely get down with that. And I think that's like in the fabric of our being, you know, for so many of us. Mm-hmm. But I think that's fine as long as it's also not hurting you. And I think sometimes we have trouble with those kinds of boundaries because of, you know, how our our structure and our culture is set up. And I know we have a lot of conflict because we are really seeing people's true colors and their belief systems um, politically and maybe in other ways. Uh, we're also seeing our nation's true colors. And if the views of your family are hurting you in some way, again, don't feel obligated to stick around for any of that. I think we are so stuck on ob- obligations sometimes, and I think it's okay um, to kind of let go. Um I think your relationships are your choice and you know what your boundaries are. So do you. Mm -hmm. And I think if you are able to sustain some kind of communication or relationship with your family and even if their values don't align with yours, as difficult as it is. And I know this is hard, but Mm -hmm. do your best to have dialogue with them and not on social media and If it must be on social media, maybe try having a real conversation with them on the chat or something. Don't just like comment on their posts because that can also get really hairy and messy with other people getting in the way of that conversation. So just like try to isolate yourself with your family member that you want to have a real meaningful conversation with. Um, And, you know, I also know it's not a common thing to have like deep conversations like that with with people in our family. I think we avoid like conversations like that in our culture a lot. Mm-hmm. But here's a moment where we can try and break that kind of mold that doesn't really serve us, honestly. And I know that I've tried like previously, even like before this, like talking to family members about certain political issues and, you know, it goes one ear in one ear and out the other, but that's part of organizing work. And you're going to encounter folks who aren't going to listen. But at the end of the day, your family member is going to do what they're going to do, you know, just as you're going to do what you're going to do, right? Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's like a throwaway thought or a throwaway kind of cop out kind of thing. But I don't know. I think all of what you said is very helpful and, and insightful. Uh-huh. It's it's easy for me to say, like, don't take things personal. Yeah. But when it comes to politics, a lot of it is very personal. Absolutely. Yeah, but people people are going to do what they're going to do. And it's it's 
the only person you can control is yourself. So I think going back to the question, Greg said his cousin unfriended everybody. Yeah. Honestly, like maybe that was the right thing to do. Yeah. Maybe that's fine. It's social media, folks. Like curate your own content. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and if that's a boundary for you, that's a boundary for you. And and social media shouldn't make or break our relationships, you know? And if they do, like, talk about it. Yeah. Also, something to think about is we weren't all as woke as we are now, right? Mm-hmm. There came a certain point in our life, whether it be, like, within the last few years when things have been completely in our faces or before where we woke up to these issues. But before that, you know, we were all doing things, maybe, I'm going to assume that we were doing things that weren't politically correct or weren't, you know, serving our communities or perpetuating really toxic things that exist in our country. We all had to unlearn these things and we all had to realize that at some point, change needs action. So if anything... You know, cut all the noise with family, I guess, and just dive deeper into your own activism if that's what you're trying to do. And hopefully those folks, you know, who are in opposition to you will see what you're doing and and maybe it might change them. Maybe. I don't know if it will, but at least you're doing your part. You're educating yourself. You're working on fighting for social justice. And let's just hope that your actions are resounding in their life in some way where they at least think about it or try to make some change. Just keep doing your part. Keep building community. Keep going. Hopefully they come on for the ride, but I think that's what's going to matter at the end of the day. What are you doing outside of these family moments to make that on social sig- media. Yeah, on social media to make that significant change. But yeah. So I like that. That's a great answer. That's a great very well said. Thanks, Boo. And thank yeah. you, Greg, for the question. Yes, thanks, Greg. And, <laughs> and if any of y'all have any other questions or if you have a message for us you want to share on the show, please mm-hmm. leave us a recording at anchor.fm slash me search podcast. Or slide into our DMs on social media at MeSearchPodcast. Or email us at contactmesearch at gmail.com. Or unfriend us if you don't like us anymore. (laughs) (laughs) You know what? Do exactly what we said. If we disagree with you or if you disagree with us, you know, set that boundary. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. We respect that. Jump on the boundary uh train with me because that's what i'm practicing this year so if we are beyond your boundaries that's okay (laughs) yeah Uh, all right dustin who's our guest on today's episode today we are interviewing a longtime friend glenn clancy we love glenn we love he wears many many hats he's a musician he's a producer and an audio engineer And we'll talk to him today about one of his gigs, which is being a vocal instructor. Hey, and you'll get to hear how Glenn became his own boss, as well as how his approach to teaching has changed over time. Let's get into this episode. Let's do it. (laughs) 
We're here with Glenn Clancy. Thank you so Ooh. much for joining us. Yay. Yay. Glenn is an amazing human being. <laughs> we we both have worked with Glenn. Uh, he he was our vocal coach and Yeah. We got to I got to record a whole EP with Glenn, uh, which was awesome. I feel like you you make me sound better than I am. <laughs> <laughs> that's you know that's uh, that's a really important concept that we go over I think that one of the the most important lessons that I've learned as a music teacher is is that we have to find the potential and the beauty in people I think we practice quite the opposite a lot of the times we practice hating society in general not not we not you or me in uh, in particular, but we look at someone who does something well and we kind of practice this like, oh, I can do that. When you approach a vocalist and they're having a hard time finding out what's good in their in their voice, we have to we have to show them that. So that's actually how you can tell um, my beginning students from my more advanced students. When I know what your voice is capable of more than you, uh, we've got work to do. Uh, when when that balances out, when you're able to recognize this is what I'm good at, this is what I need to improve on, and it doesn't really affect your mood or your performance. You just know that, well, there's always good things and there's always things to work on. Mm -hmm. That's when we're getting somewhere. Mm -hmm. And those like special tricks that each individual has, like those are things that you can highlight. That's, that's right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You are... Uh, you have always been a strong vocalist, Dustin. Like you're a, a natural talent. Uh, I'm not actually. I I my talent is in my ears, not necessarily in my voice. Uh, I, everything that I can do with my voice, I worked. I had to work on. You mm. came to me, and you were amazing. It's full. Oh, the well, thank you. Thank you. That's it. That's an interesting concept because I feel like I have to work on my ear work. Like I had to work a lot with like hearing uh, like pitches and intervals and stuff. And I found that to be a challenge. So I think it's, there's something to be said about like each individual's strengths and areas of improvement mm -hmm. because you can be a really great all around musician, but there's particular areas that you really need to work on. Yeah. Isn't that always the case? Mm -hmm. yeah. I've found that everyone's got something to contribute a lot of people will look at that as uh, we'll say the same thing with the statement that goes you know everyone's bad at something that's generally what i've noticed about newer students is the, their glasses are half empty mm. my job is to teach you how to see it from my perspective this is what you're capable of this is what you bring Here's some things to fill in some of those gaps. And so it's, you know, feedback is not positive, negative. Mm -hmm. That would be, good job, you suck. They, they would cancel each other out. It's positive, positive. We're supposed to be constructive. We're supposed to edify each other. Hmm. And if you look at, at feedback or, or your own analysis of your, your voice and your musicianship as, this is what's wrong with me, you're kind of canceling out what you're able to acknowledge is, is strong in you. Mm. You have to see it as this is something that will add to what's good. 
Yeah, I think one cool. one really great thing that I took away from when I took lessons with you, Glenn, was this idea of takeaways and like discussion at the end of every session. And yes. that's something that I practice in all different types of spaces, not just in music. And I I found that to be incredibly useful in professional settings as well, because you have to be able to look at things objectively and where there are areas that need to be improved. You know, you, you you can't necessarily dwell on it being bad. You need to take action. And it's not until yeah. you name it that you can tame it. That's right. And yeah. for it to be so regular, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a lot of people are accustomed to getting called into the office when there's something wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if it's just normal that we give each other feedback, mm-hmm. then it becomes something that we're well-versed in and we've experienced enough times to just go into it with, hey, let's talk about things. Here's mm-hmm. some good things. Yeah. Here's some things I want to hear. It's it's easier. It's easier to receive. It's easier to deliver. Yeah, I agree. Like having having those conversations allow for movement, allow for growth, allow for if there's something that I can't see and we can have a good conversation about it, then now it's out in the open. Now it's not like this thing that I will never work on ever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and one thing that I took away from from the from that practice of like takeaway and feedback is that you know when you're giving someone feedback or if you're receiving feedback, it's not because uh-huh. that other person dislikes you or hates you. It's because yeah. they want to see you succeed. Yeah. Yeah. And I think you, Glenn, have done a really good job of integrating that into the work that you do as a vocal coach um, and as a vocal producer, as an audio engineer and overall magician of sound. Um, <laughs> yes. So we've been having a really wonderful conversation about the work that we've been able to do with you. But for the lay person out there who's like, what are they talking about? <laughs> Can you explain to folks what you do as a vocal coach? Oh my gosh. that's <laughs> Everyone's different. Um, but there are bullet points. You know, there's the mechanical and then there's the psychological. Mm. The, that's pretty much what we work on. If, if you want to break it up into two categories, the mechanical parts are your body, uh, your diaphragm and your air and your relaxation in your muscles and your jaw and your diction and your clarity. That's honestly, those are just physical things. Mm-hmm. That's easy. That's, that's easy to identify. It's obvious to hear and we work on it and we, you know, that's that. I think most people think that that's the bulk of the work. That's actually uh, about a third of the work. The other two-thirds of the work is mental. And some people might even say spiritual. Uh, not that we talk about religion, but we, we have to balance the person out. You know, if, if you've ever spoken in, in public before, you'll know that that takes some getting used to. That takes some practice. Um, before you can even get to the point where you're organizing your thoughts or motivating people or inspiring people or entertaining people mm-hmm. you have to get over yourself first mm-hmm. and your own fears and that's probably one of the biggest things that 
most people don't realize we're going to work on how you feel because that affects how you sound. That affects how you write. That affects how you work with others. So it's a lot of uh, back-end work, the communication skills, uh, the attitude and approach, uh, the glasses half full mentality, uh, learning feedback is is positive, positive. Mm-hmm. It, it's all of those things because that's what you're doing when you're practicing. You're just working with yourself. And if you, if you're the, the person who works on things and is, you know, swearing at yourself every time you make a mistake or every time you do something, it's, oh. that's unhealthy. That's, mm-hmm. that's what you classify as a toxic environment in, in, in a work setting. Right. But uh-huh. you know, we, we tend to be, <laughs> we tend to be demanding of ourselves in a way that's unhealthy and, and abusive. And we have to, we have to modify a lot of how we approach the study of an art or ourselves. I was, you know, 12 years old, 11 years old and came across, I stumbled across this tape recorder. And yes, it was a cassette tape recorder. Mm-hmm. And it used the full size cassette tapes. And that was like my favorite toy. That was just, I loved the concept of, oh, you mean you can somehow capture the sound of something and then repeat it? You can just play it back and it's stored on this film, on this magnetic tape. How, how does that work? That just blew my mind. As a, this is in seventh and eighth grade. Mm-hmm. I, I discovered this toy. I, it was just lying around the house somewhere. And when I discovered that you could make chords with the human voice, I was just flabbergasted. <laughs> 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 Sing different notes. <laughs> that that blew my mind. So um, it was really it was. <laughs> <laughs> it was not sophisticated. I would play, I would record to this cassette tape, you know, an ooh on a particular note, and then I would play it back on a boombox and have another tape recording <laughs> that ooh and a different ooh. And that's where the idea of recording really started to form in my head. Wow. And by the time I got to college, uh, you know, I was in business school and I got my degree in, in IS, uh, management information systems mm-hmm. from Cal State Long Beach. But, uh, I took some recording classes at Cyprus, uh, mm-hmm. just kind of get me introduced to this. And I got lucky. I, I got a job really soon after that, uh, at guitar center in their pro audio department. Cause, uh, I was able to describe, in layman's terms, what a, a compressor did. And they hired me on the spot because I guess not a lot of people knew how to do that. Uh, and I got into recording. I, I worked there for about a year and got another job as an intern for some disc duplication house that uh, I, they just had me counting CDs for, for you know, nine bucks an hour, just counting CDs not even listening to anything. Um, and then I, we turned that into, well, maybe we should listen to, to these at least a little bit to make sure that they play back. And 
then we realized, you know, maybe we should listen to the masters before we duplicate them. And that turned into, that actually turned into two different departments that I, I built. Uh, the quality control department, which was the pre-check and the post-check of, of the CDs. Uh, not just the audio, but the C2 errors and all kinds of technical stuff where that we check when we burn a CD. Wow. That turned into me becoming a mastering engineer. Like a little too early, to be honest, in, in my audio engineering career. My bosses were pushing for me to do, provide studio services and editing. And like my first job was to remove tape hiss. Mm -hmm. and I, I didn't even know what plugins I could use. I had to find one, uh, learn how to use it, record the tape into, you know, my recording software and remove the hiss. And I think I got paid eighty-seven fifty for that. $87.50 is like the first thing that anyone ever paid me to do in terms of uh, audio engineering. And that turned into an entire department. I, I'll tell you, man, I, I studied way more out of school than I ever did in school. I had, I had to read a lot and apply it right away. And I became a mastering engineer. And that's what I did in my 20s. How did you get your first vocal coaching student oh um you know i have been teaching since very early in my life mm -hmm. um, but uh, as far as someone saying hey can you help me with my voice i'll pay you uh -huh. that um that happened sometime in my early 20s i was recording with uh, my ex-girlfriend's little cousin's band. And um, Ray Lynn was the lead singer. And so <laughs> he came in to my beautiful custom-made office at Disc Factory to record with me. And they were all in high school, so they were just kidding. Ray Lynn just oh. celebrated that. Uh, her 30th birthday. Shout out to Raylan. <laughs> and I knew Raylan when she was 15 or 16 years old. My gosh. Maybe even earlier than that. But she liked how I got her to perform when we were tracking. I was just doing a favor. Uh, mm -hmm. I was just recording a, a song for, you know, what... Well, basically my, one of my baby cousins or one of my ex-girlfriend's baby cousins and they were just they were just kids having some fun with their music and Raylin asked me to help her with her voice outside of the studio outside Raylin was your first formal official student yeah. Raylin I think she was there when I met you for the first time <laughs> Raylin uh, yeah has been around she's been around for for a while and I knew I knew her when she was a teenager. Time flies. That's, that's one of the, the coolest things about my job is I, I've gotten to see, I've been teaching long enough now to see students go from clueless artists to married with, you know, a career. Yeah. You know, I've seen students go from high school through college into their master's programs, uh, getting their you know, fancy degrees and 
it's amazing. I, I, I still get some emails every once in a while. I'll, I'll get handwritten letters, actually. That's how it Oh, that's Aww, nice. Oh, that's the best. I'll get handwritten letters um, from, like, referrals. Um, yeah, my guidance counselor at school referred me to you. And he said that you changed, you know, his whole life. Aww. And he wanted to give you this letter. And I, that just happened, like, three or four months ago. But that happens regularly. That's really cool to see. Hey, Dustin. Hey, Crystal. How are you doing? I am doing fantastic. And can you tell me why you're being, why you're so fantastic right now? Well, it's because I've been listening to this really cool podcast. It's called Me Search. Uh, Me Search. Mmm. Tell me more. Um. You know, we've well, <laughs> not much to tell you since you've been there, but. <laughs> You're listening to Me Search, a podcast featuring Phil and Perspectives. Let us know what you think. Rate us and leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Catch new episodes on the first and third Wednesday each month. <laughs> well, I'll have to catch it, meaning I'll listen to our own episodes. <laughs> <laughs> So, Glenn, in your work as an audio engineer and vocal coach, how has the Filipino community or being Filipino impacted your experience? Growing up being Filipino, I, I grew up with some prejudice towards the Filipino community. And uh, that was supported with uh, stories and, and experiences that other Filipinos shared with me regarding how Filipino Americans were perceived and, and viewed um, in the Philippines and how, uh, well, maybe we were less aware of our privilege. Uh, I know that wasn't really a term that was thrown around back in the 80s and 90s, but I think that's what it was. I think we were not aware and we were looked down upon for, for having more opportunity or mm. other opportunities um, being in America. I think we took a lot of things for granted and, and we were treated as such. We were treated as privileged and spoiled. And so my perception of Filipino culture, you know, being as young as I was, was not very positive. And, and I rejected a lot of the culture based on a lot of this information that, that I was getting and until I experienced it for myself. Uh, when I went back for the first time, uh, I think I was 26. I was 26 year old, uh, years old. I, I was a full-grown adult. And my experience over there was quite the opposite of all the horror stories uh, that, that I had heard everyone was loving and welcoming um, I, I went back because I got a chance to meet uh, my biological father and the other half of me and that that whole side of the family and you know the other 25 or 30 cousins and their kids and their spouses and all my aunts and uncles that I 
I had pictures of from when I was like two years old, but I never knew them growing up. And mm. my experience in the Philippines was eye-opening mm. and, and overwhelming. They, I saw what I was made of. I, I had pride in, not, not in a bad way, uh, like it, it was a relief to see that I actually come from good people. And I, I didn't, I, I want to share this because I think there might still be some Filipino Americans who, who perceive Filipino culture in a negative light. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I, I did. Yeah, totally. When I came mm-hmm came back from from that experience uh back to the states i just, i saw it differently i i started noticing the the positives hmm. cuz you, when you're in that mindset it's very easy for you to see what's wrong with everybody mm-hmm. and uh-huh. you can you can grow bitter and 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 angry and I yeah. came back refreshed and relieved, and I started to see how how closely knit the Filipino community was. I think being Filipino and growing up here, and then and experiencing Filipino culture, that had to be probably one of the most life changing experiences for for me. And. Uh, I don't know if it's necessarily just about being Filipino. I think we can we can share a lot of this and relate a lot of this to the experience of, of most parents of or most children of immigrants. Mm. You know, my my mother spoke Tagalog in the house, mm-hmm. uh, and she spoke kind of a combination of Tagalog and, and English. I did not speak Tagalog. Uh, I understand it. I. I don't know how that works. I, I retain the ability to understand, but I, I don't have the ability to put the words together. Um, but that all came back when I was in the Philippines for two weeks. Like I started speaking almost fluently again. Wow. It's it interesting to be submerged in it um, and to not be really be able to carry... You, do, you guys know how um, talkative I am. Like I didn't have that outlet when I was, uh, when I was there because I... You know, I had to speak English, but I I adapted. I learned. I learned how to have really deep conversations in Tagalog and English. You know, just kind of combining them, and I got to know my cousins. And over here, I'm on my mom's side. I'm the oldest son of the oldest daughter. Over there, I'm uh, the son of like the fifth sibling. So <laughs> I had a lot of cousins who were older than me, and it was nice to not have to be in charge to not have to be <laughs> the one that had all the answers. Yeah. I got to be the, the young one. I'm, I'm the only one that left. Mm. I was born there. Um, I came here when I was two or three years old. Mm. Uh, Cause my parents weren't vibing. Mm. That's a whole nother story. Right. But uh, yeah, that was my first time back. And I think being Filipino, and having a the right outlook on it can be a, a very powerful thing. Because if I really didn't like my culture, I, I probably wouldn't associate with you guys. 
I know, right? (laughs) (laughs) True, true. I used to try to tell myself, yeah, you know, Filipinos are shady and they're not, they're not really like, they have good food, but that's about it, you know? Mm -hmm. And I realized that's not actually true. I I opened my eyes and I opened my, my mind to maybe I just made it, I passed judgment before I took in all the facts. I didn't go off and work for myself until I was making more working for myself than I was at my nine to five. That's, that's just a, that's just having some business sense. It has to make financial sense for me to quit my job. And it did. When, when I actually made the full transition to just working for myself, it was because I was actually losing money going to a, a nine to five. Oh, interesting. It would cost me based on my hourly rate at the job compared to what I was bringing in for business. It just made no financial sense. And I I intentionally set that up. I didn't want to pursue music full time. I just had, I got very lucky and I got a lot of the opportunities and built enough of a client base to be able to do that. Mm -hmm. But I knew how unstable and how unreliable it was to work with uh well artistic people (laughs) they're kind of flighty sometimes and so i couldn't really base my livelihood on whether or not i could retain enough of those kinds of clients so i i sat for a while and did it part-time to just have some fun with music while i was working for apple and then it made no sense because I was I was growing. I went from one student to three students to ten students in what seemed like zero time. It just blew up in my face. You know, uh, when people like your work, uh, that's one benefit of being in the Filipino community. Uh, word of mouth is pretty powerful. How does word yeah. of mouth in the Filipino community like impact the way you do business? When you have someone to vouch for you, in general, that's really uh, that's really powerful. But in the Filipino community, we're still a minority. We're still very small, as you know, compared to how how many people are in the the states. So when when we see that that opportunity presented to us with someone that we know and trust vouching for this person, then it's actually that much easier. Because you've established yourself as, you know, I'm qualified, I'm good, I'm, um, I'm trustworthy, and this person that you made that impact on is sharing that with other people. We'll, we'll do that anyway just because, just because we're Filipino. But to, to have someone speak highly of, of you and add on top of the fact that we're in the same community, we're, we're, we're both Filipino, that's really... Maybe that's why my marketing works the way it does. Because I don't, you know, flaunt my website and pay for ads. And I just, I just do what I do. And I trust that my students will speak highly of me because of the work that we do. And that's, that's what grew me. I think what's also cool is just to see someone within the Filipino community 
doing what you do and being able to connect with you. Cause I feel like going into music or going into anything that is arts related is like very scary for the community, mm-hmm. you know? And then to see someone who is thriving and is successful and is reaching people in a way that you do letting the younger generation see that this is a, this is something that I could do too. Um, someone I can learn from who looks like me, um, mm-hmm. I think is so, so valuable. Yeah. So true. The, uh, the, the concepts that I, I try to impress upon my young, my students who most, most of which are younger than me, but I do have some students who are older than me, but definitely with my younger ones, we have to address a lot more of the societal issues that are that mm-hmm. prevail in in today's world, mm-hmm. like how tech interferes with your communication skills and why communication skills are are super important. And we have a lot of discussions um, regarding you know why do we feel this way about the the baby boomers and why do the baby boomers say these things about this generation and it's not from a perspective of, of bashing each other, but we want to understand why we have those differences so that we can resolve mm-hmm. those differences. We don't have to live with that, that turmoil with sure. that conflict. Um, being Filipino allows me to reach, there's a demographic there where uh, we've talked about this, we touched on this earlier, where the crossover generations are, are, are battling both the, the generation gap and the culture gap. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, have a, I have a unique perspective. I'm, I was born in 1979. I'm right at the tail end of Generation X. And right before the generation of millennials. I mean, my sister is officially a millennial and I'm officially Gen X. Mm-hmm. And we, I think being right there, right at, right at that point, gives me mm. a perspective that allows me to hear both sides from kind of a middle ground, like a fair, neutral middle ground. And we can mm-hmm. translate a lot of the ideas of, as to, okay, this is why you come across rude to them. Mm-hmm. And this is why they think that what you're doing is entitlement, you know, is, is considered a uh, poor attitude. And I can I can actually see it more clearly being the age that I am, and I can deal with the the culture gaps that also interfere with you know how we were raised compared to where we live and how society is here. Do you have Gen Z students? Yes. How do Gen Z students compare to millennials? If I'm being honest, they they come across more rude. They come across more rude. I actually don't think that they're rude internally. They talk in a way that shows a lack of enthusiasm and care and consideration for others. Mm. This is something that we have to address because it's the tone of your voice. Yeah. And when That's... we're working on music, every technical thing that I'm working on has a tone quality. Yeah. And if you have yeah. no control over the tone of your voice, then you can't establish an environment around you that's healthy and, and welcoming. And like, you can't entertain others if you don't know how to talk to others. 
if you limit yourself to only being able to talk to your own age group, it don't like that's a limitation. And mm -hmm. when I can bring that to their attention without making them feel like I don't like them, because that's alienating, right? Because mm -hmm. I do like them. Of course I like them. They're, they're supposed to be better than us. That's our goal as teachers, to, to, to teach the next generation to outdo us. Mm -hmm. And this is now, I'll say, a generation and a half away from me. The Gen Zers are, mm -hmm. are smart and rude or, or perceived as rude. And that's, that's a bad combo. So if you don't understand those nuances about sound, how are you to carry a musical conversation? Mm. So, yeah, we, we talk a lot about this um, and the use of the voice in just public speaking. And I've had students bring, like, their roommates to their lesson because, you know, the students, they, they love coming over to the studio and they want to bring their friends. And that's cool. That's <laughs> totally cool. That's fine. Um, I had a student come in. A student's roommate come in and asked me for the Wi-Fi password before they even said hi to me. Ah, no, thank you. <laughs> Get out of my house. Just manners. <laughs> uh -huh. Gosh. We forget those things. And and I have to recognize that, oh, he brought his roommate because he wanted the roommate wanted to join, but the roommate has papers to turn in and submit, and they're a student. That's their full-time job. They're always thinking about that, and... Maybe they, they're absent-minded sometimes and they forget because they're hyper-focused. I have to be that neutral. I have to assume the, the best of people. I could very easily be just offended by that because that's blatantly rude. Like, most people know better than you yeah. do that. But I also have to be a teacher. Mm -hmm. I have to teach people how to respond to that with my examples and my actions. As Filipinos, we're taught to respect your elders. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You guys have heard this term many times over. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, as a as a smart ass as that I was in in my teenage years, I, I thought to myself, "Well, in leadership, we're taught that respect is is isn't given; it's earned." Mm -hmm. So, shouldn't elders? also be putting an effort into earning our respect. Mm. Now that I'm older, now that I am an elder to a lot of my students, I still, I still practice that. I look for that because that, that's one of the things that, that I disagreed with. I don't think you blindly follow someone simply for the fact that they're older than you. Uh, I think that person has to treat you with a kind regard and, and, consideration and i think that's more effective leadership and so uh, dustin i love putting dustin on the spot when he's there because dustin was shy and didn't talk when i first met him and now he's <laughs> like like he gives the biggest hugs when i see him you know like like i i i feel like we went from this really socially awkward person to Dr. Domingo. <laughs> Dr. Domingo. I think also to put co into context, I 
I still have in me this this inclination to quote unquote respect my elders. And Glenn, you're not that much older than me. Like we're actually very close in age. But mm-hmm. when we first met, there's a perceived um, authority gap or hierarchy. Mm-hmm. And in the past, if I'm being honest, my approach to education was, let me just absorb what you're going to tell me, because what you're going to tell mm-hmm. me is like true 100%. Mm-hmm. And there's no room for negotiation or engagement because you're just going to tell me what to do. So mm-hmm. I think that could have contributed to me just being super awkward and quiet in general. It's because I'm waiting for the experts to tell me what's what. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's a challenge for a lot of young people in general, because there isn't always a sense of ownership in this learning process. You have to take accountability and put in the work. There's onus mm-hmm. on the student as much as there is onus on the, on the educator. And that is, that is now one of the top priorities. We're teaching you how to use your voice, not my voice. Mm-hmm. And that means you have to learn how to have a mind of your own. So I have to prioritize how you feel. Mm-hmm. And you have to learn to speak your mind. Mm-hmm. Obviously, we would want to learn how to do that with consideration for others. Mm-hmm. I get the other extreme, too, who, you know, <laughs> have students who just speak their mind mm. without regard for others. That's the balance. That's the balancing act. You know, mm-hmm. you were more on the reserved end. Um, I deal with a, quite a, a, a vast mix of uh, type A's versus like, <laughs> uh, I don't know what to say. Like every response includes the phrase, I don't know, or kind of, or maybe. <laughs> and that's so funny because it reminds me of when we had conversations, like when I would take lessons with you and you would try to get out of me my opinion on certain sounds sound qualities and you would ask me like is that the sound that you're trying to make do you like the way that sounds and i always felt in that moment like oh this is a trick question like (laughs) there's a right i always thought there is a right answer to this question what is the right answer and And how you feel you know well i felt really awkward and like stupid because i thought that there was a right way to be a singer and in many ways, like, yeah, there's a right, there's a healthy technique, but in mm-hmm. terms of sound aesthetic, yes. like everybody's going to have their preferences. Mm-hmm. And as a younger person sitting in that chair, having been asked, is that a good sound to you? Or is that the sound that you're trying to make? I always felt, okay, this is critique. And the feedback I'm getting is that sound is bad, but... I, I know now, older, having these conversations with you, like you're just trying to encourage the student to really have an opinion and to have uh, a say in what their artistry looks like. Mm-hmm. Finding your own voice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's, yes. not, it's not about my opinion. You, I, I, I appreciate that you respect my opinion. I do, yeah. And that goes for all my other students. I would hope that you would at least consider it. And I, I also want you to be able to stand on your own two feet. Mm-hmm. A lot of my students still look to me for, was it good? <laughs> What'd you yeah. hear? And that's what you're learning. You're actually learning how to hear what you want and how to define what it is you want to hear. 
that's what technique should give you. It, it, like I can tell you, I can show you the alphabet, but I can't teach you what kind of writer you want to be. Mm-hmm. And that's that's really. I think that's probably one of the bigger differences between me in my twenties and me in my forties. What you're doing is so great because again, with the the authority piece, like I feel like we are definitely taught to just absorb, to just take mm-hmm. in what has been said, what has been taught and don't question it or else or else. And I think that's the scary part, you know? Right. So like, for example, like being in, in less than it's like, I don't want to get it wrong. I cannot get it wrong. And if I'm going to get it wrong, I'm going to mull over it for like a million years. And then I'm going to stunt my growth, you know, without even thinking about it. I think learning how to forgive yourself is something we've been ta- I've been talking to Destin about forgiving yourself and continuing the conversation of how to improve is so important in our everyday lives and in our art, in our work. Crystal, um, you were iconic in that for, for my career. Um, it was actually through you in particular that I discovered that uh, motivating through care was more powerful than motivating through fear. And really? you were a tough one. You were afraid of me. <laughs> you, you did it anyway. And I, I appreciate how you, you were tough. You were a tough guy. You can take it the old school way. I can. You really <laughs> learned that. <laughs> like you cried through so many great performances in Bukit. Like <laughs> I realized that, sure, that could work for some people, but it's actually more universally effective to get a student to want to do better than to scare them into doing better. Yeah. But you know, it's that tough skin that like you, you, (laughs) you made me practice that I also needed moving forward, you know? So it's, it's a give and take there. And I think I'm still, of course, like always trying to toughen up my skin. This industry is not easy life is not easy and to have to still also have that thick skin but also recognize the softness and the vulnerability and leaning into your vulnerability is also just as important harmonize nor sing like how crystal and dustin do but we try i'm greg i'm mccoy i'm d and we're Gamchat. we're three gay films discussing topics from culture to lgbtq identity politics current events we're just trying to make sense of anything and everything in the world today like did my mom just like an all lives matter post on facebook or how do i tell tita baby stop calling me tabachoy or kinks and heartbreaks so like a typical tuesday for you no no every first and third wednesday awkward all right find us wherever you listen to your podcast looking at 
all you've accomplished so far. What might you say is something you are exceptionally proud of? Uh, my marriage. Aw, shout out to Christy. <laughs> Christy's the best! That's... <laughs> I can't stop bragging about her. Aw. She's... She centers me. Uh, you guys know me to be maybe a figure that represents someone who's knowledgeable and knows answers to questions and how to find answers. Uh, I don't always know. And I'm put in this position often, guys. I'm put in this category of like, well, if we don't know how to do this, Glenn will f figure a way out for us. Uh, it's exhausting to, to be in that um, on that pedestal for a lot of my younger students, especially, and even some of my older ones. Uh, Christy is the real world for me. She is like, she teaches me. She teaches me how to be better at me, at being a husband, at being a man, uh, at being a better teacher. That's what I'm exceptionally proud of, that <laughs> I got a good one. You did. You did. Oh my gosh, so many feelings. Yeah. That's very sweet. Christy is Christy is amazing. And like you, I consider my brother and Christy I consider a sister. And you both are just together are like the ultimate. The ultimate couple, the ultimate big bro and big sister. And um, I actually prefer yeah. Christy over Glenn, to be honest. I'm just I kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad someone said it. That's the truth right there. I prefer her over me sometimes, too. <laughs> I want to take you back to when you made the decision to be your own boss. You had mentioned the fact that, you know, it just made more sense financially, but I'm curious if you had to go back and give yourself any advice as a younger person, now knowing all of what you know in your decades of experience, what might you say to your younger self? Hmm. That's hard to answer. I, uh, I use numbers. I use the, the financials to, mm -hmm. to measure it. I, like I, I never went into debt to become a recording engineer, guys. Mm. I didn't invest, you know, thousands and thousands of dollars into gear until I made that from, you know, my starter kit. Every time I did work, I bought something to add to the studio or upgraded a computer or it actually paid for itself. Mm. So maybe if, if I were to pass that advice to, to our to the people trying to do something similar, mm -hmm. maybe making it financially sensible is a healthy plan. You know, if, if you spend, you know, a thousand dollars on a, what I, I, I probably spent like about eight or 900 on a digital recorder when I started, once I made enough money to justify that expense, I mean, I already saved up that money. So I chose to invest that into my recording stuff. And once I made that back, everything after that was profit. 
And once I made enough profit to buy a big computer, that's what I did. Mm-hmm. And once I made enough profit to upgrade my interface, I bought a new interface. And when I made enough profit to buy a new preamp, it all just kind of went back in. It just kept feeding oh. itself. Mm-hmm. Any Anything that you are excited about that you're working on today or recently that you've worked on that you might be excited to share with the public? You know, a lot of what I work on um, is with beginning and intermediate students. Mm-hmm. And the kind of work that they're putting out as, as newer musicians, as younger musicians is amazing. Um, keep an eye out for, uh, Kishante Johnson. She's, she's one of my production students. Uh, she's making amazing beats and instrumentals. Uh, there are other students who are, are writing and just, just churning out music and really working really hard. Um, Kevin Tran, all-around musician, singer, guitar player, bass player, songwriter. Wow. Lyricist. Um, and then, you know, there's Tim Vo, who's becoming this amazing guitar player and also does vocals. There's, I mean, there's just so many of you guys. Oh, my God, there's so many people. There's just too many people to, to list everyone. So who's, who is your favorite between um, me and Crystal? <laughs> Oh. Um, Damn! You don't, you don't have to answer that. I have to say that um, my favorite uh, boy, <laughs> <laughs> my favorite girl would be Crystal. Good answer. Good answer. Good answer. Let's say I am an artist uh, or a singer or a producer. Um, and I'm thinking I really, I really want to work with this guy I've been listening to for the past, um, however long this podcast is. How would they find you? Um, shoot me a quick email. Glennaudio at Mac.com. G-L-E-N-N-A-U-D-I-O. Uh, let's book a session. So final question, Glenn. What's put a smile on your face lately? Um... What's been the, the joy of my life other than wifey working from home lately? Because uh, mm-hmm. that's kind of fun. It's like a sleepover. <laughs> you know what? That is probably it. That's probably one of the bigger upsides is we get to hang out more. <laughs> <laughs> well, Glenn, thank you so much for joining us. This was thank Glenn you. Clancy, everybody. Glenn Clancy. Aww. It's so great having our old pal Glenn on the show. Yeah. And uh, shout out to Christy Clancy. We love you so much. We love you, Christy. We miss you both so much. I can't wait until COVID is over so we can all hang out and have a movie night. (laughs) And potluck and just all the foods. Just all the foods. What's on your mind about this interview, Dustin? It's interesting that our show is formatted in this way where we reflect at the end of every episode and give some of our takeaways from 
each interview that we did. Yeah. And I remember when you and I were doing voice lessons with Gren way back in the day, we always ended our sessions with reflections and feedback. The way that Glenn gives feedback is very strengths-based. Mm-hmm. He challenges his students to speak positively about their voices. And I found that to be a challenge for myself, but I- I'm glad that he encourages his students to do that. Mm-hmm. I think it's a great habit. And I definitely would encourage folks out there to practice that in their everyday lives. Some folks might be used to diminishing their shine, but when you have that sort of negative mindset, you might have a negative lens on other things in your life or on other people in your life that can sometimes create a toxic space and perhaps manifest itself into what we call the crab mentality. Mm. Or you might hate someone else for no reason. You might be hating on other folks in the community. Mm. And that's probably a really difficult thing to unlearn, but instead we should consider highlighting what people are good at and what they bring to the table. And We've talked about this before, but it's it's impossible to please other people 100% of the time. Mm-hmm. So in those moments where we have a critique or we disagree, let's at least keep conversations productive and make room for the common ground. And like Glenn said, people are more motivated by love and care instead of fear and hate. Yeah. So. And I think... Especially when we get older and we think we know everything. And let's be honest, when we get older, as we get older, we start really thinking that and and acting in such a way. <laughs> let's be real. I think it's important that we take a step back. And I think we need to see how we can improve for ourselves and for our family and friends and for our community as a whole. I think the moment we think we know everything is the moment we stop truly being there for one another. Um, We are ever-evolving people in an ever-evolving world. And if we think we have all the answers and know everything all the time, we're not growing with and loving the people around us. Because life is not static, y'all. Mm-hmm. Right? Am I right? You're right, Crystal. Ooh. You're right. Ooh, that's me. That's me thinking that I know everything. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I freaking hate you. <laughs> no, but okay, but okay, okay. But but for real though, like life isn't static. It's 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 always moving. It's not the same every day. We're we're always changing and the world is always changing. And like we can't just be the same people. In the same world every day. That doesn't happen. That's not how life works. <laughs> um, that's not how the world works. You, what you said just now really resonated with me because I think mm. where true power and influence comes from is like when you realize you don't know everything. Mm-hmm. When you when you can acknowledge that you know actually very little about the world, then you mm-hmm. can take steps to make things better. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And and that's how we become better citizens. <laughs> mm-hmm. Global citizens, citizens in this nation, better partners, better daughters, sons, friends, everything, you know, because we're allowing ourselves and opening up ourselves to information that hello is not just about us. 
Right. So stop doing that. (laughs) (laughs) All of us. All of us. We're all guilty of that, okay? Like, mm. (laughs) it's it's fine. And just it's just about acknowledging that and just adjusting, right? It's right. Right. That's all it is, everyone. (laughs) It's okay to adjust. I know it's hard sometimes, but just do it, okay? (laughs) (laughs) I think the bottom line is, like, just be empathetic and, like, try to put yourself in other people's shoes. Yes, yes. So one other thing that we talked about in this interview was this gap between generations and cultures. Mm. I think Glenn is a great person to to talk to about this gap between generations and cultures because he's had that experience in the U.S. and in the Philippines. And when there is a distance between cultures when there is a a big gap uh between one culture and another it's easy to assume that the other culture or the other group is the bad guy Mm -hmm. because we center ourselves it's easy to like be self-centered or Mm -hmm. make our culture the center or the standard that the world must adhere to right and our former guest rosalind cobarubias touched on this in episode 10 she said something to the effect of it's important to have empathy and consider how the other person is feeling or perceiving the situation, particularly in the context of the inability to communicate in the other person's language. Mm-hmm. So also, Glenn is Generation X and has had a lot of inside working with older folks as well as millennials. And now a lot of his students are Gen, are Gen Z. So he talked a lot about the differences in communication styles mm-hmm. between generations. The differences in communication styles is a huge part of why conflict exists across generations. Mm. So I do appreciate his thoughts about the need to respect generations and to look kind of not past the communication, but try to understand how to communicate better in general. Mm-hmm. So now that he's older, Glenn does the work to earn people's respect, even if they're younger than him. Mm. Mm. I resonate with the idea that he brought up that age doesn't automatically mean you just blindly follow that person. Mm-hmm. It's important to stay critical thinkers, regardless of what age you are and regardless of who you're speaking to. Right. So I I also loved your exchange with Glenn about using your own voice when interacting with elders. And, you know, he was right. I was scared of him. <laughs> I was scared of him, too. Oh, my God. <laughs> He's intimidating. He is intimidating. But Glenn. Not anymore. But like, yeah, he, yeah. Can, he can be. And yeah. he was when I met him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that was more of a me thing. I don't know. Yeah. It's fine. Because Glenn's my brother now. And it's fine. Yes, yes. Um, but, you know, like that fear was because my family taught me to be scared of elders and authority figures. And that is, a, I think, mm. honestly, that is a common theme in our in our culture. Um, <laughs> and in addition to the slipper, my my mom would always tell me if I did something wrong the police would come to get me. <laughs> Dude, me too. Like if I was Dude, in the grocery store or like a shopping mall and I was just being like hyperactive or something, mm-hmm. she'd point at the camera and she'd be like they're looking at you. They're going <gasps> to they're going to they're going to come and get you. Or if they if 
there's a, a mirror. She's like, that's a two-way mirror. They're looking at you and they're going to come oh and get gosh. you. Oh, my gosh. Damn. Damn. That's... Uh... My mom was really manipulative. But also, thanks for listening to this podcast, mom. Thank you, Tita. <laughs> we love you, Tita. Sorry, continue. Uh, <laughs> um, wow. Um, yeah, so I, I think back... And this is really where my fear of authority stems from. You don't talk back to teachers. You don't question anything ever if they are in a mm-hmm. space of teaching you something or if they have, quote unquote, control over the space. And honestly, I still struggle with this. And it is fucking frustrating. Like, mm-hmm. it really... It really gets in the way sometimes. And, you know, even in spaces of collaboration, even with like peers, mm-hmm. sometimes I don't feel worthy enough to share my ideas sometimes. And that is hard for me to admit, but that's the truth. And, you know, I, I even struggle with just speaking up in conversations or in spaces where my input could be valuable. <laughs> And, you know, I've gotten better with it. I'm not, mm-hmm. like, great at it, but, like, I'm. it's, like, a constant thing I have to work on. But it's interesting because, like, I'm not afraid to go out and, like, protest or speak up against bullshit in our country. And mm-hmm. I think I have the community organizing group I used to, to work with, Anak Bayan, uh, to thank for that. But in, like, micro spaces when it's just for me, I have a hard time speaking up and I have a lot of anxiety of even simply putting words together sometimes. And it it makes me so, uh, it makes me sad and it makes me just, it puts, I get in a really bad headspace. And I've even talked to you about this because sometimes Mm -hmm. doing interviews scares me. Sometimes it scares the bejesus out of me. like especially in the beginning and again like we've i've gotten better at this um but mm-hmm. really i just i always have this fear of speaking like in general and it's exhausting because i have a shit ton of thoughts in my head and i just want to mm-hmm. share them but again i'm getting better at this and it's something i have to struggle with literally every day because i'm literally in front of people every day teaching <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm the one who's supposed to be in control of this space as an educator. <sighs> but if anyone else out there feels this way, you are enough. Your thoughts are enough. You can string words together. You can. And uh, <laughs> and your talents are valuable. And I just want to, you know, let folks know who might be struggling with similar things um, because of uh, fear of authority. <laughs> and right. And whatnot, um, that I feel you, and you're not alone. Man, <laughs> that all of what you said makes me a little emotional. Oh no! Because I value you, oh. and I I see every day like how smart and capable and amazing you are. And okay, boo, we're crying. <laughs> no. We're not doing that today. I got <laughs> shit to do. <laughs> oh. But I mean, yeah, you're so amazing and you have so much to offer the world. 
And there are other people out there that are just as amazing as you, but might also feel just as incapable, which is ridiculous, but also a learned thing Mm -hmm. that I feel like needs to be called out because I think other people are, think they're shitty, but are actually the shit. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Oh, yes. And um, thank you for saying that, boo, because... Like my my uh, blue light glasses are fogging up, and now I can't, <laughs> I can't see you. We're allowed to cry on message. Uh, we are, and you know what? <laughs> cry when you want to, because not crying is a very patriarchal bullshit thing that we're taught to do. So cry if you need to. Okay, it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> oh, but yeah. Boo, thank you for your um affirmation and your continuous love and your friendship and. And our our podcast, you know, and um, I I appreciate you, and you're awesome. I appreciate and I love you, you too. <laughs> I love you too. <sighs> anyway, getting back to these reflections. So, <laughs> yeah, let's do it. <laughs> I think um, just to piggyback off of what you were saying about like this automatic deferral to like elderly authority mm-hmm. not elderly authority like <laughs> elders and authority yeah yeah but like this habit of just like deferring to what they have to say as like 100 truth that habit really bit me in the butt when i came into leadership positions in my career because mm-hmm. i wasn't used to calling the shots and taking control of spaces also and i think over time i, I i've gotten better mm. but honestly it took a long time to break that cultural habit of not talking back or sticking up for myself mm. when I'm engaging with people who I perceive to have more authority or if more authority because they are older or whatever the case might be in professional settings. But sometimes I still feel like I'm a fish out of water, but I'm trying to get used to speaking up. Yeah. Say what you got to say. Yeah. Do it. Yeah. Doing it. We're doing things. Hell yeah. Yeah. Anyway, it's about that time, Crystal. What are your final thoughts? You know, um, you know, mental health is still a taboo in our community, and I think it's important that we address this. Glenn said something about um, negative self-talk, and, and this is what's making me think about <clears throat> mental health. You know, I grew up in a not-so-normal household, and it wasn't all good. And just saying that out loud so publicly is like, whoa. Whoa. Um, Because I, you know, I only talk about this, like, with my, oh, no, here comes the weird voice because I'm trying to get words out when I'm crying <laughs> at the same time, everybody. Um, oh, my gosh. <laughs> hold on. Let me take a breath. Okay. Take a beat. Take a beat. All right. Take cool. a beat. Cool. We're good. We're good. Um, you got this. Woo. Okay. So I I I I grew up in an uh, a not so good household. Oh no! No no no! It's like that voice that I hate. It's fine. I hate, I'm here for you. I know, but it's just like that. Like you know, like that texture of crying voice, where it's like. <laughs> Hold on. This is making me laugh because it's like right here. You know what I mean? (laughs) And it's like so weird and like so ugly, but like I get it, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, Okay. I was saying (laughs) I didn't grow up in the best household. 
And when I hear people in our community, especially elders, talk about how so-and-so is so crazy for doing this or that or the other without even considering what may or may not have happened in the household of someone or like what they're, ew, God, you guys, this is hard. Um, Someone's- You got this. I know, I do. Um, But when they don't consider someone's individual life experience, it really pisses me off. (laughs) Because in the mind of elders, I think there's this- There's this monolithic kind of view of what a good Filipino person should look like. Ew, oh God, this is so hard, boo. You got got this. Say what you got to say. So I was saying, (laughs) so Mm -hmm. Dustin probably had to edit out some of my crying. (laughs) 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 Because I was crying for just a good minute there, but I think I I have it. I have it now where I can, like, actually, like, (laughs) produce sound out of my body. Okay. Um, So that pisses me off. (laughs) I was saying, like, when elders don't consider what might have or might have happened in someone's household or don't consider someone's individual life experiences... Because um, there is this monolithic kind of view of what a quote-unquote good Filipino person, and I want to say even like what a good Filipino girl should look like or what a good Mm. Filipino family should look like, which is often centered in patriarchal, colonized, Christian, capitalist standards I think there is this view that every Filipino family is built the same, but because of this expectation and disregard that, you know, there might be different variables that happen in households that we don't want to talk about or that we make kids silent about. And you couple that, oh my God, and you couple that with like, the degrading talk that we hear at family parties that we've talked about in previous episodes mm-hmm. that hello we need to check all this we need to check you know this space becomes a breeding ground for <sighs> mental health issues and these mental health issues that we kind of um imposed on each other gets tucked away because we want to avoid the drama or the hia. We want to avoid looking like anything less than perfect or anything that can steer us away from this monolithic ideal of what good what a good family or person should look like in, you know, the context of being Filipino. And you know there's a lot of layers that go with this, but I think what I'm trying to say is that One, we have a lot of issues in our community that we need to work on that's Mm -hmm. been contributing to our mental health in a negative way. And two, we need to address that some of us need help. And three, there is nothing wrong with speaking up about what's going on with you and also getting help. And if we want each other to do well in life, this is part of it. You know, our mental health is just as important, if not more important, than our 
career health. I'm sorry, I'm like crying so much, everyone. It's okay. Oh my God. But it's just as important as our career health and our our financial health and our collective and respective familial health. So I know I've extrapolated a lot on this, but I know how deep the negative self-talk goes in our community. And I know I do it, obviously. And I know a lot of family and friends who suffer from negative self-talk and low self-esteem and a lot of other mental health issues and that are, you know, a lot deeper. And um, so much of it comes from so many other issues in our community. And it just makes me sad that we talk so poorly about ourselves. And it does affect how we interact with each other and with colleagues and with just anyone. This can really affect someone's livelihood. And I think... I think it's important that we talk about how we remedy our negative self-talk and the slew of mental health issues that we have to tackle. But I think what's also super important to talk about is the root of where our mental health issues are coming from and what some of the collective common denominators in that contribute to these issues. And, oh gosh, personally... I I wish I didn't have to be silent about the things that I went through as a child or feel wrong about my feelings because I knew what I saw as a child and it has affected my my life growing up as a teen into adulthood. I have been seeking help for it because I want to be better for myself and for the people that I foster relationships with and I know there's still a lot of a ton of work I still need to do and things that I still need to unlearn you know so I I stop impeding on my growth as an artist and as a person who is certain things to certain people and I'm just happy that I found the courage to seek um, professional help and I think it's important that we normalize this and that's all I gotta say, guys. <laughs> well, yes, let's normalize it. And I want to reiterate, I think you're amazing. Let's end this episode with some positive affirmations. Okay. So what's what do you feel like is great about yourself? Um, I, I love that I'm strong and I love that I'm resilient and I love that I have quirkiness about me and I'm learning to better embrace that quirkiness and I'm I'm an artist that's what I love yay (laughs) I love all of those things about you too thanks what about you I love my sense of humor I think I'm so freaking hilarious you are so (laughs) fucking hilarious boo (laughs) you sure fucking are (laughs) Thank you. Um, And let's see. I like how I cook. (gasps) Go get it, boo. I don't follow recipes. I follow my heart. (laughs) Um, That's the way to do it. Absolutely. Yes. And with that, this is the end of our episode. We're going to send you all loves. We love you all. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Yes. Thank you, Crystal, for being in this podcast. Thank you, Glenn. 
Um, yeah. That's it. Have a great day, folks. Have a great day, everyone. Have a great day. We love you. Make sure to subscribe to me. Search wherever you listen to podcasts. Find new episodes on the first and third Wednesday every month. Check us out at mesearchpodcast.com. And find us on social media at mesearchpodcast. Mesearch is produced and hosted by Dustin Domingo and Crystal Tugatti. Editing by Dustin Domingo. Special thanks to our guest, Glenn Clancy. Reach him at glennaudio at mac.com or shoot him a text at 714-478-3773. Shout outs to all our friends and family giving this podcast a shot. We'll catch you all at the next episode. We're going to get to the bottom of things. This is me, Surge, folks. It sure is. Yeah. Woo! Yeah. <laughs>